Well, if you have a Bible, uh, please turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Last week we began thinking about Satan and demons. And tonight we want to dig a little further into that as we think about the idea of spiritual warfare. And so, what better text to read than Ephesians 6 verses 10 to 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me, that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Amen. Let's pray and then we'll look at this together. Lord God, we need your help now. We come to your word and we pray that it might come alive and be relevant and applicable in our hearts and lives, that it would strengthen us to be strong in the face of the evil one. We pray that you would show us Jesus, show us the victory we have in him, and that you would equip us to live for you in this dark world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, David and Erwin Stoddart uh, were overseas missionaries, they were in a, a post-communistic, atheistic part of the world. And after they'd been on the mission field for just a few months, Erwin says that she and her family were reeling from, quote, the shock of coming face to face with demonic forces beyond our comprehension. Uh, so she goes on and, and she says, Numerous strange events transpired. Liters of urine poured into our stroller. Blood splattered on our apartment door. A small hole drilled into our front door indicating a planned break-in. The hole is used to insert a small probe camera. Much sickness, poor sleep, and evil se even sensing an evil presence in our bedroom. At first, we thought we must be imagining things. 
but the horrid climax was the nightmares that tormented our two-year-old son. Owen says, One of his most vivid dreams was about a woman with black hair and red eyes who wore only a bra and black pants and would offer him a basket of rotten fruit and force him to eat. His nightmare was X-rated, not a typical toddler being chased by a bear dream. And then Owen goes on to say, what we experienced was normal for our context and many other missionaries can testify to similar kinds of things. I call these sort of scare tactics demonic bullying. In a place where the number of Christians is less than 1% and the rest of the population is consciously or unconsciously worshipping the enemy, this is not at all surprising. Satan does not want people rescued out of darkness and brought into the light. He will use ordinary frustrating events to harass the believer and occasionally he will employ extraordinary means to bolster his scare tactics as was the case of my son's dreams. End quote. Now if you're here last week, you'll remember we started talking about the topic of Satan and his demons, who they are, where they come from, what they're trying to do in this world. And for some of us, I think it was quite a sobering reminder of something that we often forget. Uh, I suspect for many of us, the idea of being in a spiritual war is, is actually quite hard to relate to. Because many of us feel like we've never really experienced that in, in sleepy Launceston. We might be tempted to think that spiritual warfare doesn't really happen here. Maybe it just happens overseas out there on the mission field. Well, we might be tempted to think that, but the Bible tells us something different. Uh, in that famous passage that we just read, Ephesians 6, 10 to 20, Paul says to the church at Ephesus, and he says to Riverbank, to us today, don't be fooled. Don't be lulled into a false sense of security. See what Paul says in verse 12? For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That's confronting, isn't it? That there, there's this vast hierarchy of evil angels powers, rulers, authorities. And then there's this well-oiled machine, there's scheming generals, there's trained soldiers, and they are determined, they are working together to oppose God and destroy His people. So the question we need to answer this evening is, how on earth, how on earth can we do battle with this powerful, invisible evil enemy? And to answer that question, we're going to look at three important instructions that Paul gives us in this passage. Three things that can help us to successfully resist Satan's attacks. And then at the end of our time together, we're going to think a little more about the idea of demon possession, whether it happens today, and how we should respond. Well, let's turn to our Bibles and get into it. How do we battle these evil forces in verses 10 to 13, Paul gives us our first instruction, we need to be prepared. That's our first point. We need to be prepared. Skim your eyes uh, over verses 10 to 13. See what Paul is saying to us. 
Verse 10, you need to be strong. Verse 11, you need to take your stand against the devil's schemes. Verse 12, expect a struggle. Verse 13, expect days of evil to come. You need to be prepared to stand your ground. Paul's point is pretty clear, isn't it? Christians need to be prepared. Why? Because from the moment we're saved, we are thrown into a ferocious battle and it will last for our whole lives. How terrifying to not be aware of that. To, to wander down the street of a Ukrainian town with your toddler eating ice cream while the Russians home in a missile on your location. What's the, what's the first step to winning a war? It, it's realizing you're in one. I wonder if that's something that you think about each day. When that temptation suddenly appears in front of you again. When that selfish, angry mood starts welling up in you. When that screen glows in your hand. Understand you're in a war. And make sure you understand the nature of that war. It's spiritual. It's invisible, but it's absolutely real. And it's personal. It's aimed at your heart and your faith. And it's deadly. It's a matter of eternal life and death. And make sure you understand the enemy, Satan, and his army of demons absolutely despise God with everything in them. And they are determined to destroy his church. We, we looked at that in some detail last week, didn't we? In verse 11, did you notice Paul mentions here Satan's schemes? He is incredibly cunning. He comes up with all sorts of dastardly plans. And strategies. He isn't new to this game. Satan has been doing this. He's been doing his research for thousands of years. In each culture, through history, he works differently in the way that's most effective. He can enslave people through satanic worship or through Christianity in some distorted form. He can enslave people through the rituals of witch doctors or through the science of an Australian atheist. How can we be prepared? Paul, Paul's kind of saying to us in this passage, don't bring a knife to a gunfight. If we try to stand up to Satan in our own strength, we don't stand a chance. So what hope do we have? Well, look, look again at verse 10. Be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Do you remember last week we looked at the victory that Jesus has won over Satan? Stage one was, was Jesus being tempted and not giving in. Stage two was Jesus driving out demons and saying, the kingdom of God is here. Stage three was Jesus dying and conquering sin and death and evil. And now rising as Lord with all evil in submission to Him. And stage four is still coming, isn't it? Christ returning one day and eradicating all evil once and for all. It's because of that victory that Paul says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. 
so, so we don't go into this battle quaking in our boots and fearing for our lives. No, if we belong to Christ, if we trust in Him, we already have the high ground. We only have to stand. We, we already have the victory. I mean, we do have a role to play. We have to fight, but we don't do that in our own strength. If we go in God's strength, then we rock up to the gunfight, not with a knife, but in a tank. That's our first point this evening. We need to be prepared. Expect war. Be ready to fight Satan, not in your own strength, but in God's strength. And then second, Paul tells us we need to be protected. We need to be prepared and we need to be protected. Uh, And he uses the picture of a Roman soldier kitted out from head to foot in armor and weaponry. And he says, like that, Christians need to be protected by the armor of God. Of God. What is this armor? (laughs) Are we wearing it tonight? He breaks it down for us in verses 14 to 17. First he says, Buckle the belt of truth around your waist. You've got to think back to a society where everyone was wearing robes. uh, And in a society where everyone wears robes, belts are really useful. Because if you want to be nimble and quick, then there will come a time where you have to tuck up all the folds of your robe into your belt so that you're ready to go. And Paul says the belt of truth makes us ready and keeps us from tripping over. The truth about God, about sin, about salvation, all the things we're talking about in this Living Theology series and that we talk about each week at church. And we need to not just understand the truth, but also to live it out. Our world, it bombards us with information, doesn't it? About about sexuality, about gender, about evolution, about racism, about ethics, about religion, about parenting, about marriage, about singleness, about romance. Do you know the truth? Do you love the truth? Are you building your life on the truth? Second, Paul says, put on the breastplate of righteousness. Righteousness. I'm increasingly convinced that so many Christians are struggling to understand what the Bible really says about righteousness. We need to know about justification. That means it's it's the righteousness of Christ. It's freely given to us at the moment we're converted. And we need to know about sanctification, that, that lifelong gradual process of actually becoming righteous. And we need to know how justification and sanctification fit together, how, how grace and good works fit together, how God's grace not only forgives but also transforms us. Christian, if you don't understand that you're already completely loved and forgiven in God, you're going to go into battle without a breastplate on and Satan will attack your vital organs. You'll be like a leaf in a hurricane. 
And Christian, if there are areas of sin in your life that you are not addressing, that you can't be bothered repenting of, that you don't really want to give up or deal with, chances are that's where Satan will come for you. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. And third, cover your feet with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. It's a bit difficult to work out whether Paul's mostly focusing here on the readiness or the gospel or the peace. I think it's probably the readiness. This is a Christian who doesn't just know the gospel. No, the gospel is like her shoes. uh, And it carries her from place to place, wherever she goes, and she's always ready to speak of Jesus. Christians who have little love for the lost, little sense of evangelistic urgency, little concern for the terrible reality of hell, these Christians are playing right into the hands of Satan. Because I've settled for, for a comfortable insular, selfish version of Christianity. Oh, that riverbank would be a church full of soldier missionaries. Feet fitted with gospel readiness, marching out into the world, forcing back the darkness of Satan's kingdom as they proclaim the gospel. Fourth, Take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Our enemy is dangerous. He shoots flaming arrows. They sear, they burn on impact. We saw last week some of the arrows Satan likes to use. He can use temptation and deception to lead us away from God. He can use accusations to make us despair. And lose heart. He can use illness and tragedy and persecution to wear us down. What do we do to extinguish these arrows? We take up the shield of faith. Our defense is that we trust in God and He can be trusted. All our confidence is in Him. When Satan tells you you're unworthy, You trust in Christ's righteousness. When Satan tells you you're weak, you say, yep, but Christ is strong. When Satan tells you you're forgotten, you hold on to Christ's love. A Roman soldier's shield was big enough to actually hide your whole body behind. And when the arrows would start to fly, the soldiers would all lift up their shields together and they would stand in a wall and make this impenetrable line of shields. Satan can't harm us if we, if we stand together. And we help each other put our faith in God all the time, whatever we're going through. We saw this this morning, didn't we? We need each other. Fifth, Put on the helmet of salvation. Paul says something similar in 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 8. He says there, put on the hope of salvation as a helmet. The hope of salvation. 
So this is, this is a future view of our salvation. This is fixing our eyes on the glory and the joy that awaits us when it's all complete and done. And if our minds and our hearts are fixed on that, then what can Satan throw at us in this life that will get us off track? Six, take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Did you notice this is the only weapon in the list? It's the Bible. Scripture disarms Satan. It exposes his lies. It's how Jesus overcame Satan in the desert. Do you remember that? It was a war of Scripture quotes. If, if your faith is, is like an engine, Scripture is like petrol. We need to read it, to memorize it, meditate on it, so that that random moment when Satan comes at you, you're ready to respond. If you're a bit underwhelmed to discover that the only offensive weapon you have is the Word of God. Well, then I don't think you've quite appreciated what you hold in your hands. This is everything we need to get us to heaven. Everything we need for a life right now of joy, security and comfort. And these words are mighty powerful when it comes to evangelism, aren't they? A double-edged sword that can pierce a heart of concrete. So, there you have it. Six pieces of armor. Truth. Righteousness. Gospel readiness. Faith. Salvation. God's Word. How are you going in putting on this armor? At first glance, I don't think these six things seem very impressive, do they? I wondered why that was this week until I realized that this armor is not designed to stab or slash or slaughter Satan. We don't need to do that, do we? Because Jesus has already done that for us. Remember, we stand in his victory. So the purpose of this armor is, is all about keeping us close to Jesus, the, the champion. If, if you take one thing home tonight, I hope it's this. There's absolutely no better way to fight Satan and fight sin than to stay close to Jesus. To rest in him, to love him, to know the gospel, to live the gospel, to share the gospel. Well, that leads us to the third thing Paul calls us to do. We need to be prepared. We need to be protected. Now third, we need to be prayerful. We need to be prayerful. Read verse 18 with me. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Paul's saying we need to be constantly, totally dependent on God for help as we go into battle. 
Notice the word all, it's repeated there four times. We pray on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. We pray all the time. We pray for all the Lord's people, especially missionaries on the front lines like Paul. Uh, I like how one writer, Kent Hughes, describes this. He says, Everything about the armor of God says action. As he readies himself, he adjusts his war belt. His heart pounds under his breastplate so that it almost rings. He scuffs at the earth like a football player with his nail-studded boots testing his traction. He repeatedly draws his great shield across his body in anticipation of the fiery barrages to come. Reflexively, he reaches up and repositions his helmet. He gingerly tests the edge of his blade. The enemy approaches. A thousand swords ring from their scabbards in dreadful symphony. The warriors stand motionless, breathing heavily. And then the Christian soldier does the most amazing thing. He falls to his knees in deep, profound prayer. To be sure, there will be action. He will rise and his steel will flash, but all will be done in prayer. For prayer is primary. The Christian soldier fights on his knees. It's good, isn't it? So how do we battle against these evil forces that want to drag us away from God? We need to be prepared. We've got to be ready to fight in God's strength. We need to be protected, trusting in Jesus, in the gospel, in everything we have in him. And we need to be prayerful, depending completely on God for help. Well, someone says, that's great. I suspect that's, that's really useful for, for normal day-to-day spiritual warfare. But what about the big things, like demon possession? Does that still happen today? And if so, what should we do? Let's think about this for a couple of minutes before we finish. First, we need to say something about the phrase demon possession. Uh, It might be better to speak about demon influence or, or demon oppression rather than possession. Why? Because, because the phrase possession is, is too simplistic uh, and, it, and it's too extreme. It makes it sound like demons always work in the same way. They, they completely take a person over and make them do crazy things. And we do occasionally see that in the New Testament. You might think of the man in the Gerasenes. But more often, the way that people are influenced by demons in the New Testament seems to be more moderate and more complex. You know, it's, it's interesting when you look at it. Sometimes a sickness or a, or a physical condition is attributed to demonic influence. And then sometimes it's not. Uh, The same is true for false teachers and for various sins. Sometimes the writer of the Bible tells us that that's a demonic problem and and sometimes it's not. So we shouldn't think that everyone who is influenced by a demon is, is completely possessed and dominated. 
And we shouldn't assume that every sin and every mental health problem is a demonic problem. But neither should we assume it isn't. In short, it's not always easy to work out what's going on. And let's not forget, we've already seen in God's Word, all believers are under the influence of Satan and his demons to some extent. So then, does, does demonic opposition and oppression still happen today? Uh, it seems like we have to answer yes. The Bible is clear that Satan and his demons will be active until Jesus returns. I think the only question is how. How will they be active? Satan seems to work in many different ways in different times and cultures. Uh, and if you're like me, uh, you may have never had a first-hand experience of, of overt, obvious, demonic attacks. And I think it would be interesting to do further study into why that seems more often to be the case in rationalistic, secular Western countries. My guess is that Satan is quite happy to hide behind the scenes and to let people continue to believe that there's absolutely no spiritual realm at all. That suits him quite well. But the experience of many overseas missionaries like David and Alwyn Stoddart confirms that Satan's work sometimes is still very direct and public. What should we do if we come in contact with someone who seems to be oppressed by a demon? I wonder what you would do. Well, remember what we just saw in Ephesians 6. The basics of spiritual warfare is remarkably simple, isn't it? It's all about trusting in the victory, the salvation of Jesus Christ. The New Testament never gives us special incantations or techniques for driving out demons. What it, what it keeps telling us is something much more basic. Trust in God, pray, read His Word, run from sin, pursue righteousness, tell others about the Gospel. How should we respond if we think maybe someone is oppressed by a demon? Well, we should love them. We should pray for them. I think we should share the Gospel with them urge them to put their faith in Jesus as their Lord and Saviour. And perhaps there are some more extreme cases where, where something of a direct exorcism is needed. But even then, even if that was the case, the example of Jesus and his apostles is, is striking, isn't it? What, what do they do? In the name of Jesus Christ, they rebuke the demon and command it to leave. Very, very simple. Now, the advice I'm about to give you is not from any personal experience on my part, but this is what I think seems wise from the Bible, and you can, you can see what you think. If you find yourself in that situation, be humble. Because there are instances when even the disciples struggle to drive out a demon. Be confident, because there is power in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Be fearless because Satan has been defeated and he's under God's control. Be prayerful because we have no power apart from God. And be gospel focused because that's what saves people and that's our goal for everyone, isn't it? That they would be saved. Finally, we need to ask, well, well, can a Christian be demon-possessed? And I think we should conclude, no. It's not possible for a demon to, to take over and internally possess a Christian. Ephesians 6 does make it clear that Christians should expect external opposition from demonic forces. And many missionaries will tell you about that. But because Christians have been born again and they have the Holy Spirit living in them and they have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light and they belong to Jesus, I do not believe a demon can possess a Christian. Will the Holy Spirit share a bedroom with a demon, if I can put it crassly? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Oh, Jesus in John 10, 28 says, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Well, we, we began with, with quite a confronting story from the mission field with David and Alwyn and their toddler um, seeming to be experiencing demonic bullying But that wasn't the end of the story. Let me read what Owen writes. She says, Because we were so overwhelmed with our situation, we needed help. We called our teammates to come pray with us. While our son was asleep, we prayed at his bedroom windows that God would not allow any evil to enter into his room and that he would sleep peacefully. The next morning I asked him, Did you have a nightmare last night? His toddler answer was flabbergasting. Yes, but this time the woman was outside my window and she couldn't come in. Now, I know that's just a story and an anecdote. And you can believe as much of it as you want. Oftentimes, we don't get to see how God is acting in the supernatural world. But for these missionaries, it was so encouraging to glimpse firsthand what we know is true all the time. That God is sovereign over all evil. That Christ has conquered Satan and his demons. And that when we draw near to God in faith, we are eternally safe and secure. So dear friends, As we go out from here, let's arm ourselves with the gospel. Hallelujah, there is strength in the Lord and in his mighty power. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you that there is strength in the Lord, in you and in your mighty power. We need that strength, Lord, because we are in way over our heads, fighting an enemy that is unseen and cunning 
and opposed to everything good. And Lord, we confess that so often we do listen to Satan's voice and give in to his temptations and agree with his lies and doubt your goodness and dabble and play with sin and kid ourselves that it's not that bad and nothing really serious could happen. And Lord, we ask for your forgiveness. And we thank you this evening for your wisdom and for your provision, the provision of the gospel, of your word, of faith, of salvation. Thank you for showing us the truth. Help us to stand firm in you. Help us every day to put on the armor that you've provided for us and not to be a stupid soldier who would walk out into battle in his pajamas, leaving his armor behind. We thank you that we can be optimistic, confident, fearless, humble, prayerful Christians because our Savior Jesus reigns in heaven. We pray this all in his name. Amen.